Luke Bretherton is a professor of moral and political theology. He made this sort of simple point, but he said basically when we are confronted by someone, by the other, by someone with different of different needs and desires than us, and we share space, we have three, uh, four options. First option is we can kill them. Second option, we can coerce them. We can make them do what we want them to do. Uh, third option is we can chase them away. And fourth option is uh, we can learn how to live together. It, or as he puts it, we can do politics. That politics, in the broadest sense, is a process whereby different people with maybe not just different values and needs, but maybe even conflicting needs and desires, learn to negotiate shared space, right? Politics. Well, viewed in this light, Isaac's family is a political failure. Right? Because he decides it's time to bless uh, his firstborn. And his desire to do this conflicts with the desire of Rebecca and Jacob because they want that blessing. And they don't try to negotiate a compromise that everyone can live with. Uh, they don't engage in politics. Uh, they go with uh, disguising Jacob as Esau and trick Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. So it's really kind of version of option two. It's coercion. It's getting what you want despite the other, what the other person wants. And Isaac thinks he's blessing uh, Esau. Right? And then when, when he discovers what happened, what's happened, Esau chooses option one. Right? Once, he says, once uh, his dad dies, Esau is going to kill Jacob. He's going to take him out. If he can't have the blessing, neither can his brother. Now, if you're in a position where, you know, you're planning your act of revenge, here's a tip. Put a lid on it. For some reason, Jacob says it, or Esau says this out, out loud. That he's going to do it, so then uh, Rebecca hears, like, you know what? Jacob, you got to get out of here. Your brother wants to kill you. Uh, so be discreet. But like I said, Esau is a bit of a meathead. Uh, Rebecca says, we are going to get you out of here. It's, she's going to recommend option three, flight. But what, the other thing that's interesting about that, though, is it's not just option three. There's a bit of option four involved because they have to break the news to Isaac that... Jacob is going to go. They have to engage in some politics. But they don't say uh, Esau is going to kill Jacob. Uh, in fact, none of that business gets mentioned. Not by them. And Isaac doesn't say, hey, what was with that? You know, Rebecca simply says, look, Jacob's going to go back to my people to find a wife which is the place where Abraham's servant found Rebekah herself. But she adds she can't stand the idea of Jacob marrying another one of these Canaanite women. Uh, why? Because Esau has already married two of them. 
Judith and Basemath are their names. And Genesis tells us that they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, uh, which is really surprising because Basemath sounds like such a sweetheart, right? Yeah, yeah kind of lady who would sort of gut a deer in the living room or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so Isaac says, yeah, 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 go. Find, find a wife over there. But not only does he not mention the shenanigans that happened before with him disguising himself as Esau, Isaac gives uh, Jacob another blessing. And what's interesting about this blessing, unlike the first blessing, this time he gives this blessing and explicitly ties it, ties the blessing to the covenant God has made with Jacob's uh, grandpa, Abraham. Anyway, so it's, there's two blessings that Jacob is getting. And word of all this now gets back to Esau. And it doesn't, it, what's interesting is it doesn't make Esau like matter. It it's not like he wants to uh, kill Jacob immediately. His big takeaway is, oh, mom and dad don't like my wives, you know. Uh, and so what he does is he goes off and he marries the daughter of Isaac's uh, older half-brother, Ishmael, right? Uh, the guy who bullied Isaac growing up. You know, we didn't read that passage, but there's a point where Ishmael and Isaac, are, there, there's so much conflict there that Sarah kicks uh, Hagar and, and Ishmael out. So, he, poor that meathead. He's trying to get his father's approval. Oh, you don't like those wives? I'll go get another one. Here, I'll bring the daughter of your bully half-brother in, into the house. So, you know, I'm sure it's going to work out fine for you. He's, uh, you know what they say, third wife's a charm. Uh, <laughs> uh, either way, it's, his response isn't about killing his brother. It's, it's trying to engage in, uh, uh, he's trying to do something political, right? Trying to to make things work. Uh, and you wonder, is that really all Esau wants is he just wants his father's approval, right? Like maybe that's what made him mad about this blessing is that here he had this opportunity to get his father's approval and Jacob took it. So, Jacob, he's got to flee. And what's, you wonder what is going through Jacob's mind as he's hightailing it out of there. Um, after all, he now knows when he's leaving, he's thinking, my, this could be the end of my relationship to my parents. Uh, I may not be ever, ever be able to go back there. And, you know, for, or at least, yeah, well, he must be thinking, might never be able to go back. Uh, and you, so he's got no possessions, no homeland. Uh, no routines that he's ever known. That's all behind him. All he has, as he's hoofing it out of there, is this blessing. You have to wonder whether he's going, is this worth it? All the scheming that I did to get this thing, is that worth it? Because look where I am now. I'm on my own. I've, I've lost everything. All I have is this blessing. Now, maybe he's thinking about that. Maybe he's not. Maybe, you know, that's often the case is when thoughts are overwhelming, we have an amazing capacity just to block them all out and just focus on the media. Maybe he's just thinking, you know, all he's thinking about is uh, how much distance he's putting between himself and his brother 
and he's maybe looking over his shoulder, making sure his brother isn't there. Uh, so we don't know. We don't know what's going through his head. Whether these thoughts are humming around and swirling around in his head like bees about the hive, or whether he's just blocked it all out and is just fixated on what's immediate, you know, that hill, uh, that stream, this heat, whatever. However, regardless of whether he's blocking it out or, or it's rattling around in his head, at some point he has to stop, right? At some point the sun goes down. Eventually you have to lay down and go to sleep. And regardless of what's going on in your head before then, once you go to sleep, all bets are off as to what's going to go through your head. That point, your mind is not really under your control. And for God, it's as though this is the opening God has been looking for. Because it's while Jacob's sleeping that God exposes him to realities he had not, that had not been <coughs> considered in his mind. You know, Jacob, Jacob is heel grabber. He's a trickster. That's who he is. You know, uh, it's, it's not just about politics for him. It's about dirty politics. It's about manipulating others to get your, to score an advantage. I mean, that's the story of life as he sees it. Or at least that's how he saw it until that night. His dream reveals that there is much more going on. The whole thing, everything that's happening here, it has a storyteller, and it's not Jacob. The realm of heaven is not as dis disconnected from the realm of earth as he'd assumed. There is a ladder. Angels ascending and descending that ladder, carrying out the will of the one who is the storyteller. This is a story determined by scheming and dirty politics. This is a story that is determined by covenant and blessing. Jacob is stunned. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I imagine some of you have had some similar kind of experience moment when you felt alone and unsure in a place you had not anticipated being. And suddenly it's like, where did that ladder come from? Why is it gold? And what is it propped up against? Oh my goodness. God is in, is in this place, in this place, with me. I'm not alone. It has been a ladder-filled week for me. You know, I mentioned in the email uh, I sent out this week about that experience I had with Arden at our, our favorite radio station. That, that was Wednesday. And then Friday, in particular, it was with Allison. We were invited to visit the University of Michigan's Ross Business School. Now, a little background to this. When Allie first asked me to take her on this trip, uh, I looked for a reason to say no. You know, uh, too, uh, you know, it was not, she didn't tell me soon enough. Uh, it, you know, it's too close to Holy Week. Uh, it's too close to Sunday. But the truth is, those were just excuses. Uh, the truth is, this whole thing has made me very uneasy. 
Now, you may be surprised at that because I used to, I used to be a campus minister at the University of Michigan, and I and I love that place. But I used to say it, and I actually saw my former colleague up there when we visited, and and he remembers we would have that conversation that we would feel very uneasy sending our kids to U of M as undergrad as undergrads because it's so big, it's so easy to get lost, uh, and. and Plus, with Allison, you know, she went to a little Montessori school and then went to Penn, and then you had the pandemic. And what she's found is that the kids who went to the, the feeder uh, middle schools, they all hung out. So it has been very hard for her to find friends. Um, and I thought, like, why do you want to put yourself in that position again? Plus, the business school? <laughs> Ah, uh, the other thing I used to say is that my least favorite major was business major. I mean, I felt like Allie attending the U of M business school is just sort of some sort of condemnation of my parenting. I apparently have no influence. But uh, I ended up saying yes. And my, even there, my motives were not pure. I was like, oh, your mom can't take you? Well, okay, I'll take you. You know, I'll save the day. So there we go. We went. You know, and... I had, in my mind, I had this picture of what these other 30 or so kids who were uh, attending this thing, what they were going to be like, what their parents were probably going to be like. Um, now, it turned out there were people from Ghana, people from Ecuador. Uh, I talked a good deal to a uh, Muslim from India who lived mostly in Dubai, but now lives in Dallas who attended school in Terre Haute. Uh, in other words, exactly what I expected. <laughs> uh, but there were five of those kids, five of those kids, five or six that, uh, that bonded immediately. Uh, Farah Falua, what a name, right? Nigeria. Zoya, Camilla, Cooper, and then there was this other kid, a little three-year-old named Allison Rhoda. She's probably not three, but in my mind she is. They became, I'll, I, you asked me to show you a photo. Um, it was beautiful. And you realize, oh my gosh, that's what, you, that's what you need, right, to get through college. You need five, six people help you homework, help you when you're down, help you have fun. There's panel discussion also. We're represented from these different programs within the business school. Uh, three panelists, and three of these panelists represented initiatives that focused on matters of justice and sustainability. Uh, and, and when they opened up things for questions, I was like, hey, uh, sustainability guy, uh, there has to be tension between you and real estate guy over there, right? Come on, you guys can't be getting along. Uh, and, and real estate guy spoke up first, and real estate guy gave a great answer about some of the initiatives that they were doing about de developing things that, uh, that were justice-focused. And then, and then sustainability guy had to give his answer, and his answer was amazing. He says, yeah, there's tension, but it's a good tension, and we're trying to help students know how to live in that tension. Oh, God, that's good. That's good stuff. 
So I was bumping into ladders all weekend. And I would say they were golden, but apparently at U of M, you guys say they're maize, uh, <laughs> maize-colored uh, ladders. Uh, but surely, surely the Lord is in the Ross Business School, and I did not know it. The business school, people. <laughs> it was amazing. Now, it's worth pointing out that this moment here in our text, this dream of Jacob's, it's not God saying, hey, don't worry about a thing. It's all going to go smoothly. Um, no, he is at the beginning of a long journey, and um, it does not go smoothly. And there are times where it does appear as though Jacob is all, all but forgotten about what God has said to him here. Uh, he doesn't seem to be acting out of faith. Uh, he certainly seems to be the heel grabber. And, you know, of course, you know, I, the same is true with, with Allison. Yes, there, there are ladders everywhere. But that doesn't mean it's going to go smoothly. Um, that doesn't mean things can't go sideways. You know, I still worry about the amount of money and power of that in that place. They casually say, oh, yeah, Justin Bieber was here yesterday promoting his clothing line. What? We get a lecture from a guy who... Uh, who uh, worked with Beyonce on her social media uh, campaigns. I mean, that kind of power is pretty seductive. So that's always there. So, and, and just, so just like, because just how it is difficult to know how to navigate space that you share with people who are different, with other people, it is difficult to know how to navigate space when you are dealing with the other, the capital O other, with God. What does it look like? You know, what, is, what does it mean to, to occupy space knowing that God is in this place? What options do you have there? Well, you can't kill him. Uh, you can't flee. You can't coerce. And frankly, God isn't particularly interested in us negotiating politics with God. And when you hear Jacob's vow, it, doesn't, it sounds a bit like Jacob doesn't quite get that, right? It's this, if there's a bit of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours to his vow, right? If you'll be my God, then I will give back a tenth of what you give me. Because God is not looking to Jacob to satisfy some need God has. God isn't looking to acquire advantages through, through this guy. Uh, you know, it's like there's that line Bono says, um, the God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister, Right? God isn't short of cash. God doesn't need us to negotiate with him. And, and there's also the fact that it's, it's sort of a nice moment where Jacob takes that rock and he puts it on, uh, makes sort of an altar and lays oil over it and dedicates the, the space. There's part of me that's a little nervous about even that. It's like, Jacob, are you getting the point here? The point is not that the, surely the Lord is in this place uh, alone this place especially, no, uh, because if that's the case, then you still have option three, right? You can flee. Oh, God's here. Okay, I'll just move off over here. But you have Psalm, was it? Psalm 139 says, uh, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. 
But I don't want to be too hard on Jacob. Because there is, there is something good and right about his response too. After all, what, is it, what does it mean to know that you live in Bethel, house, the house of God? What does it mean to know that there are ladders everywhere, whether we see them or not? Well, part of that is to give. To stop clinging to what we have. Because none of it is ours. That is true of our money. And that is true of our children. You know, I I remember bringing Allison up for baptism. That's what we were saying. We were saying, God, we're going to trust your covenant. We're going to trust your blessing on this little child. We're going to ultimately recognize that she is yours. We're going to trust in that covenant made with Abraham and Sarah. We're going to trust in that covenant made and kept in Jesus Christ, who exposed that there are ladders not there are ladders to heaven, not just in places of abundance, in places of joy, but in places on on a hill filled with torture and death. There are, there are ladders. That too was Bethel. That too is a place where we say, surely the Lord is in this place. Knowing that, we can let go. I mean, if that's true, if it's true that there truly are ladders everywhere, if Bethel is a country that crosses every border, we are free. Free to to give, free to, to, to love, to hold on when it's time to hold on and to, to let go when it's time to let go, to celebrate what we share with one another and not be threatened by what our differences we have with one another. There is a freedom there because it's all God's. So where will you Where will you encounter a ladder this week? I pray that you have eyes to see them. But I also pray that you have the faith to know that they are there even when you don't. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.